It's my pleasure to introduce Joseph Carl Smith. He is a PhD student in philosophy at NYU and a research assistant at the Center for Effective Altruism. His current research focuses on our ethical relationship to the long-term future. He has previously interned at the Louisiana Capital Assistance Center, a nonprofit law office that defends people facing the death penalty, also at Harvard's Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society, and at the Global Priorities Institute. He has also spent over a year of his life on silent meditation retreat in chunks ranging from a few days to three months. He has a BPhil in philosophy from Oxford and a BA in philosophy from Yale University. Please join me in welcoming to speak about the long-term future, Joseph Crossmith. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Is the mic working? Oh, good. Okay. Uh, so, I'm Joseph Carlsmith. I'm a PhD student at NYU in philosophy uh, and a research assistant at the Center for Effective Altruism and the Future of Humanity Institute. So, a fair number of people in the effective altruism community, including myself, think that the long-term future is extremely important. So important as to warrant the focus of our altruistic attention. And the central fact that impresses many of us is that the future could be really big. It could last a really long time, and it could involve a huge number of people. I'm going to talk a little bit about that possibility uh, and how we might relate to it ethically. And I should say at the outset that very few of these ideas are new or mine. Uh, uh, a lot of them come from Nick Bostrom and from Toby Ord, uh, both philosophers at Oxford. And in fact, some of the framing here, even some of the language either comes from or might end up in uh, Toby Ord's upcoming book, which I've been helping with. So this is the Cave of Hands in Argentina. Our ancestors made these stencils somewhere between 9,000 and 13,000 years ago. And at the time, Homo sapiens had been around for at least 185,000 years. We've come a long way. And some of the biggest changes in our condition are relatively recent. We've had agriculture for only about 10,000 years, written language only about 5,000, and all of recorded history has happened since then, just a few thousand years. So we can take all of human history, everything that has ever happened to humanity, hold it in mind, and now look to the future that could be in store for us. And what we see, I think, is that human history could be just beginning. We stand on the brink of a future that could be astonishingly vast and astonishingly valuable. And it's the scale of that possible future uh, that persuades many of us to focus on it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the dimensions of this possible future. Uh, but I should say that I'm not 
yet making any, making any claims as to how probable it is that we reach a future of the scale I'm going to describe, um, except to say that it's probable enough to be worth taking seriously. So how long might the human species last? Well, the median duration of a mammalian species is around 2.2 million years. Uh, this is Homo erectus, our closest relative. And Homo erectus lived for 1.8 million years. That's a long time. If 2 million years were a single 80-year lifespan, our species would be at this point about eight years old, just getting started. But obviously, we're not typical mammals. Um, for one thing, we've recently uh, been increasing in our capacity to destroy ourselves, a uh, capacity I'll be returning to later on. But we also have other unique capacities that could help us survive for much longer than Homo erectus. Suppose, then, that we live for as long as we can on Earth. How long might that be? Well, current estimates suggest that Earth will remain habitable for somewhere between 500 million and 2 billion years. Enough time for millions of future generations, trillions of human beings, and enough time as well to heal this planet from some of the damages that we've caused in our immaturity. In fact, I think awareness of just how long we might live on Earth puts in perspective the stakes of how we care for our home. At some point, though, we are going to either die here or leave. As Konstantin Tsiolkovsky put it, Earth is the cradle of humanity, but one cannot live in a cradle forever. Can we settle beyond Earth? The main obstacle, I think, is the time necessary to learn how. This is the Wright brothers' first flight in 1903. And here, 66 years later, is Buzz Aldrin walking on the moon. That's a lot of progress in 66 years, less than a single lifetime. Our species learns quickly, especially in recent times. And 500 million years is a long education. I think we will need far less. Now, I'm not saying that settling beyond Earth should be our focus at the moment. Um, just that awareness of the possibility is important, I think, to our sense of what sort of future could be in store for us. Where might we go from here? Well, the Milky Way contains roughly 100 billion stars, maybe more, some of which will last for trillions of years. And there are billions of other galaxies we might be able to settle and explore as well. On such a scale of time and space, uh, we might have a truly staggering number of descendants. Uh, Bostrom 2012 estimates a lower bound of 10 to the 32nd, if everyone lives for 100 years. Uh, but as he puts it, what matters is not the precise numbers, but the fact that they are huge. 
So those are, that's two possible dimensions of this, of our possible future. Uh, it could last a really long time and it could involve a huge number of people. I want to also talk about a third dimension that's particularly dear to my heart. Namely that with enough time, human life could become extraordinarily good. The present world, as we all know, is marred by agony and injustice. The litany is familiar. Malaria, HIV, depression, dementia, oppression, torture, discrimination, prisons, mental hospitals, factory farms. With enough time, we can end these horrors. In the words of Robert Kennedy, quoting Aeschylus, we can make gentle the life of this world. But putting an end to agony and injustice is a lower bound on how good human life could be. The upper bound remains, I think, unexplored. And we get some inkling of this during life's best moments. Moments of raw joy, luminous beauty, soaring love, moments when we are truly awake. And these moments, however brief, point to depths of possible flourishing far beyond the status quo, but also far beyond our capacity for comprehension. Our descendants would have a lot of time to explore these depths and many new ways of exploring. And it's not just welfare. Whatever you value, beauty, art, adventure, discovery, understanding, love, consciousness, culture, our descendants would be in a position to plumb the depths and also potentially to discover entirely new categories of value, utterly unknown to us, music that we lack the ears to hear. So that's one possible future for humanity and our descendants. Millions, maybe billions or even longer of years. Huge numbers of future generations living with astonishing depths of flourishing. Such a future is, I think, in Carl Sagan's words, a worthy goal. Profoundly good. And if we get our act together, I think we have a real chance. Obviously, though, such a future is not the only possibility. Our future might be much shorter. For example, if we go extinct in the next couple centuries. Or even if our future is very long, uh, it might be much worse than it could have been. Our trajectory as a civilization might veer in the wrong direction. And because our future could be so big, the stakes as to which of these possibilities are realized are extremely high. So high as to persuade many effective altruists to focus on their impact on what happens to humanity in the long, long term. In particular, uh, many people in the effective altruist community, including myself, think that reducing the risk of human extinction is a particularly good opportunity to have an impact on the long-term future of humanity.
especially extinction by our own hand. In recent times, uh, we have grown more and more capable of destroying ourselves and our entire future forever, whether by nuclear war, catastrophic climate change, synthetic biology, artificial intelligence, or some other risk as yet unknown. And because the expected value of our future is so high, many think, even a small reduction in the risk of extinction is extremely worthwhile in expectation. That said, I want to be clear that the case for focusing on our long-term future and the case for reducing the risk of extinction are conceptually distinct. So there are ways to focus on the long-term future that don't involve reducing the risk of extinction. For example, instead of trying to ensure that our future is very long, you could just try to ensure that to the extent our future is long, it goes better rather than worse. Similarly, there are reasons to reduce the risk of extinction that don't have to do with the long-term future. Uh, for example, reasons to prevent the deaths of 7 billion people, including potentially yourself and everyone you love. Nevertheless, many people who are focused on the long-term future, uh, as a matter of fact, think that reducing the risk of extinction is a particularly good opportunity to make a difference. Let me talk briefly about a few possible objections. Um, the first is discounting, which in the context relevant here means thinking that things matter less the farther away from you they are in time. This just seems wrong to me uh, and to many people. Imagine that you can save 10 people from flu in 100 years or 1,000 people from torture in a million years. Who should you save? You should save the 1,000 people from torture. Uh, and views that discount say otherwise. You can raise similar, other similar objections. Okay, what about views on which we have no reason to add happy people to the population, uh, including happy people in the future? I'm somewhat more sympathetic to these views than uh, others in this community, some others. Um, but it turns out they're extremely difficult to make work. Uh, and the central difficulty, uh, as I see it, is that even if you think we don't have particularly strong reason to add happy people to the population, uh, you should still think that we have very strong reason to ensure that the lives that we do add to the population uh, go better rather than worse, even if they're worth living overall. So for example, it matters whether we uh, pollute this planet and leave to future generations uh, a biosphere that leaves them substantially worse off. Um, even if who lives in the future is contingent on our choice, and even if everyone has a life worth living regardless. Um, and that conviction, in conjunction with the conviction that we have no reason to add happy people to the population, uh, produces either fairly counterintuitive results or violations of very plausible constraints on rationality. Uh, and I, I'm happy to talk more about that in the Q&A, or you can check out my poster. Uh, Nick Beckstead's thesis, uh, chapter four, is also a nice introduction uh, to these issues. Finally, you might be skeptical about our ability to make the future better in expectation. 
either because you think we, we might not have that kind of influence over the future, or maybe we're just not in a position to know what will make the future better. And I think there is a real question here. But surely at least some people are in a position to make the future better or worse in expectation. Donald Trump, for example, is in such a position. And when it comes to the risk of extinction, I at least find it pretty hard to think that we're totally clueless as to which options or outcomes would be better or worse. For example, it seems fairly clear that an all-out nuclear war between the US and Russia uh, would be bad in expectation uh, for our future. Same for a global engineered pandemic. And I think some people, at least, are in a position to lower the probability of those sorts of catastrophes. Even if you don't buy that, though, the stakes are high enough that I think the thing to do is not to give up, uh, but to try to learn more. And these are only a few possible objections. There are many others and many further questions we can raise. Uh, but some of those questions are still open, and we need people working on them. So if you are gripped by the broad idea here, uh, even, if, even if you still have questions and objections, uh, I encourage you to, to get involved. Here are some ways you might do that. Uh, 80,000 Hours has just released a long article about reducing the risk of extinction, uh, which has lots of information about how you might make a difference. You can listen to this podcast with Toby Ord, uh, which goes into more depth than I have. Or you can talk to people at this conference from various organizations interested in the long-term future. I want to close with an idea inspired by Carl Sagan. So imagine our descendants, millions of years from now, spread out across the galaxy, having experienced life with a depth and understanding unimaginable to us. And imagine them looking back on Earth and on the 21st century in light of everything that has happened since then. And what they would see, I think, is a seed. This tiny, fragile planet from which everything would spring. As Sagan puts it, they will marvel at how vulnerable the repository of all our potential once was. How perilous our infancy. How humble our beginnings. How many rivers we had to cross before we found our way. Thank you. Have a seat. All right, so again, submit your questions. We've already got a few coming in via the Bizabo app or on the web at london.eaglobal.org slash polls. So first question, um, you kind of addressed this a little bit uh, when it came to discounting, but one particular form of discounting that a questioner asked about is discounting by the background rate of human extinction. So if you think that there's sort of some rate at which we just go away, maybe that is a reasonable way mm -hmm. to discount. Yeah, so if you think that we are very, very unlikely to reach a particularly long future, um, 
then some of this dialectic does alter a little bit. Um, so you might think it's less worthwhile, for example, to try to change the trajectory of uh, human civilization in the long term. Um, I don't actually think that it reduces the uh, value and expectation of uh, reducing the risk of extinction if you still think that the future is positive in expectation. Um, uh, but it might, ent might alter how you think about trajectory changes. Okay, so next question. Uh, do you know of any information on or, or do you have thoughts on how people can maintain some sense of being action-oriented when they move into this line of thinking? Because it, it seems that people often sort of end up chasing their tail or sort of just getting bogged down or distracted in all of the considerations. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I mean, one thing that can be helpful psychologically is to be uh, producing concrete output. Um, so sort of instead of just sitting around and talking to people, writing, writing something that people respond to or um, organizing something. I don't know if that is in fact, uh, in fact any better, but it, it can feel better. What are your thoughts on the signal that it sends to people outside of the EA community to focus on long-term risks rather than kind of shorter-term, seemingly more immediately pressing issues? Well, in many cases, I think uh, the goals are quite convergent. Um, so I think, uh, for example, reducing the risk of nuclear war or of global pandemic, uh, I think that's something that everyone has reason to care about, regardless of how they feel about the long-term future. Um, exactly how we prioritize those sorts of catastrophes relative to uh, other sorts of goals we have in the short term um, is a, a further question. Um, but in a lot of cases, I think the things that are going to be good for us in the long term are good for us in the short term, too. So we've got a couple kind of related questions on this theme of helping people now versus the distant future, um, kind of trying to synthesize them a little bit. One person puts it pretty directly, though. You could argue that doing work to help people in the present is also sort of a way of helping people in the future, maybe indirectly. So for somebody who is really focused on doing things that affect the here and now, obviously you don't have a lot of information about this person's behavior, but do you have thoughts on kind of what the typical person maybe who is very focused on the present should do to adjust to orient themselves more toward the long term? I think that's going to depend a lot on the person's circumstances and their, uh, what they're interested in, what they're uh, good at or in a position to do. Um, the ADK article is helpful in this respect. Um, so they're very interested in sort of tailoring what sort of advice they give uh, to, uh, to a person's particular circumstances. Um. That might be one for office hours. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm refreshing the page here as the questions continue to come in. Here's a, a short one. Is emphasis on the long-term future consistent with hedonism? Yes. <laughs> uh, very consistent. Um, yeah, so the simplest argument for the, the long-term future is if you're a, a hedonistic, total utilitarian, uh, and you think that there's going to be a lot of hedons in the future. Do you think that EA as a community should be more direct in its communication with the rest of the world about the ways in which it focuses on 
the long-term future as opposed to sort of, you know, having the poverty cause area kind of lead the way in marketing and, and having things like existential risk kind of, you know, more sacred knowledge for those that are more uh, deeper initiated into the community. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would want to describe <laughs> existential risk in those terms. Um, and uh, in general, I think um, at least many people in the EA community are fairly open both about their interest in the long term and also their uh, remaining uncertainty about it. Um, so uh, Will, for example, has done a lot of work on moral uncertainty and uh, how to act when you're not, you know, when you're compelled by a view, but you also think there, you have doubts. Um, and yeah, one thing I really want to emphasize is, is that the, uh, it's possible to care a lot about the long-term future while also holding in mind other possibilities for what you might do. Um, uh, and uh, even some skepticism about the general argument for the long-term future in general. So I think that's all the questions we have for now through the app, but you will be at office hours I will be, immediately yes. after this. Uh, tell us where people can follow you online if they want to learn more about you. Um, I have a website, uh, josephcarlsmith.com. Uh, that's a good way to learn more about me. All right. Round of applause for Joseph Carlsmith for helping us orient to the long-term future. Thank you very much.